0: As we turn now to the very Word of God, would you turn in your Bibles to the book of James in chapter 5? We'll be here in a moment in James chapter 5. And before we read, would you please pray with me? Our Lord, would you produce in us a delight for your Word, that as we cling to these things, we would be made like trees planted by streams of water that are fruitful and do not wither. Lord, we ask that you would produce that in us. Would you give us ears that hear, eyes that see, and hearts that believe, so that we would follow you. We trust you and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. This is James in chapter 5. I want to start here in verse 13, which is where we began last week, if it sounds familiar. James chapter 5, beginning in, th- in verse 13, we'll read here through the end of the letter. James 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it didn't rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is the Word of God. Now, We've come here to the very final sermon in the book of James. It only took us six months to get here. As we listen now to the final lines in James' letter, what is it now that he wants to leave us with? What bell does he want to leave ringing in our ears as he closes? We know that throughout this letter, James has spent a lot of time calling us, encouraging us to be doers of the word of God. That seems to be his main theme, that we would be doers, not only hearers, but that we would live out God's word. That obedience to God would be a source of joy and life to us. So here now at the close, it seems that James wants to show us the opposite of that doing of the word, the opposite of obedience. Here we look at the, the consequence or the outcome of disobedience and sin. Sin can lead us to wander off, and even it can lead as far as bringing a soul to death. Now, this is clearly something we want to steer away from, but if a person begins to move in that direction, James is calling us now as a whole community to bring back a sinner from his wandering. Which means that James' whole letter now ends on a note of restoration. Restoration. That will be our subject for today. The question then is how? <laughs> What is it that this restoration actually looks like? That's where we're headed in just a moment. But let me back up just a moment. If you were here last Sunday, you know we, we unpacked already kind of the first verses of, of this text that we've read. And there we looked at the topic of effective prayers. That in James's words, uh, prayer has great power as it's working. And that's the case especially in the context of a person who is sick, that we might pray for. So, even in times of especially serious physical sickness, there might be occasions where not only all of us, but the elders especially come to pray for that person. It doesn't say here that the elders are supposed to just show up at the sick person's doorstep. You know, that would be a little unsettling, I think, if I were sick and suddenly I get ding, 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 and the elders come in and go, hey, we're here to pray. Oh no, is it that serious? The elders have now come knocking at the door. It says that the sick person is to call for the elders to pray. They're even encouraged to do that. And it's not just that the elders pray for you, it's that the elders pray over the person. Likely even in laying on of hands, the elders might even uh, anoint the person with oil, which sounds strange to our modern ear, but this is not some sort of medicine, you know. It's not a little, a, a bit of Tylenol to put on their head. The oil is, is given in the name of the Lord, which is to set the person apart as, as holy holy. That is, there is special care and attention given to this sick person through prayers of what we call intercession. That the elders are praying on behalf of the person, lifting them up before the Lord. These things are particularly the responsibility of elders, the shepherds of the community. But on the whole here, if you look at the whole thing, James is calling all of us as Christians in verse 16, he says... Uh, confess your sin to one another and pray for one another. It's not just the elders will pray for you, although we do that. It's not just top down. All, All members are praying for one another. When we print in our bulletins all members ministers, we really mean that. That we pray for one another is I pray for you, I'm counting on you to pray for me. We're all praying for one another. Now, that said, we need to see an important observation here about in relation to sickness that we did not get to touch on last week. It's in verse 15. Let me read it again. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. forgiven. If he has sinned, what does that mean? Because don't we all sin, right? Haven't we all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Don't we all need the grace of Jesus to save us from sin? That's true, right? It's true. So why does he say, if the person has sinned? James is referring to here uh, uh, about to re- particular sins that are the cause of the physical sickness. If there's a particular sin that's a cause of this physical sickness, the immediate source of physical sickness is sometimes sin. Not all the time. He says, if a person has sinned, but sometimes it is the case. So there's just a, you know, a few examples that are obvious to us, right? You know, if, if we make a habit of excessive alcohol intake, I will become sick in my liver, likely. There's a direct link there. If I do you know, excessive smoking, say, I'm going to be sick in my lungs. Excessive sexual partners, even might become sick in other parts of my body that I will not mention from the pulpit. You know, there's some of these where the link is plain, but most of the time, the connection between the sin and the sickness is not as obvious. Paul talks in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 about how some within the community of the church were taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, he says. That there's somehow sin bound up in their receiving of Communion. And as a result, he says, that's why some of you are weak and ill, and some have even died. That doesn't mean the wine was bad, or the bread was moldy. There's not necessarily a physiological connection here, but sin in that case was the direct cause of the sickness. On the flip side, we should not assume, I want to be as clear about this as I can, we should not assume that sin is behind every or even most ailment that we, ailments that we might have. So uh, the you know, classic example is uh, when Jesus is interacting with the man who's born blind in John chapter 9, and, and people are asking, who, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus says, nobody, nobody. He's not blind as a result of sin. This is so that God's work might be displayed in him. The cause is not sin there. So if I can summarize this, the best course of action in response to sickness is to hold both of these approaches in tension as possibilities. That is, we don't assume that sin is the cause, but we consider that sin may be the cause, the direct cause of sickness. We have to consider that so that we can address it if that's the case, and that healing can come. Now, I know different people kind of fall on different sides. All all of us lean toward one naturally uh, or or the other. There, There are some of us that it might even never even cross our mind that sin might be part of our sickness as a source. And if that never crosses your mind at all, you probably need to pause in the midst of sickness and take a good look at your life. So that if there are splinters of sin within you, by the grace of God, you can root them out. Or on the flip side, you know, if you're the one that that, some never think about it, some people always think about it, they're maybe consumed with the, the fear or thought that there may be sin as a cause of their sickness, those people need to take a pause and take a good look at Jesus so that we won't become consumed with anxiety or fear and that his grace will cover us. Sin is sometimes, not always, but sometimes, meant to draw attention to specific sins in us. And as painful as that might be, it is better than the alternative. Because the alternative, where, where sin goes unnoticed and unchecked, And ongoing, if that's the case, we may begin to wander from the truth. It is a far greater danger to be healthy in body but dead in soul. And if that happens, or if it's at risk of happening, we want to bring a person in that situation back. We want restoration for ourselves and for each other in these things. So the question then is, how? How does that restoration happen? In the rest of our time, we're going to look at three factors that are part of restoration. The factors are these. I'll even tell you ahead of time. Confession, covering, and community. If you're a note taker, there you go. Just made it easy for you. Confession, covering, and community. Those are the three parts of restoration we see here. Let's look at them one at a time. The first, the first part of restoration here is confession of sin. We can see it in verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, we need to specify in this that we are talking particularly about confession of sin here. Because confession can refer to a lot of different types of things. Literally, the word that James uses here in the Greek, uh, the word for confession means out of same speak. That sounds strange, so we use the word confession. Out of same speak. Or the English word confession means to say with. With. To say with. So same speak or saying with. So that's where we get things like the Westminster Confession. You know, our affirmation of faith uh, came from that this morning. Westminster Confession are things that we say with one another. It's not just that we say them aloud, although sometimes, of course, we, we do. It's that we affirm these things together. Or, you know, when, when Paul writes in, in Philippians that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. there's no confession of sin there. It's that we're speaking the same thing. These are confessions of truth. They're same speak. Confession, however, can also refer to things like agreement, just getting on the same page. So uh, in in Jesus' days, when the chief priests approached Judas to try to get him to betray Jesus for, for a little bit of money, Luke's gospel says that Judas confessed to them, meaning he agreed with them. They got on the same terms. They were on the same page. So confession can mean a lot of things, just same speak. Now, when we're confessing sin, When there's confession of sin, we're saying that we agree with God about our sin. That we speak the same thing about our sin that God speaks. So confession is not just a report of what we've done. Here's a list of my bad thoughts and my bad deeds and the things that I've done wrong as a parent. And I was part of it. But it's more than that. Confession means not only I'm, I'm reporting on it, but I, but I say I believe certain true things about that. When I confess, I'm saying that I know my sin is wrong, that my sin is evil, that it's an offense to God, that my sin shows my rebellion against God. That's what we're doing in confession. We're same-speaking with God about our sin. Without that, there is no real confession, and there can be no real repentance or restoration even. Now, one other thing about confession, this sort of same-speak about our sin, we need to look at to whom James says we confess. Did you notice this? He does not say here, confess your sin to God. Nor does he say, confess your sin to your pastor or priest. Those both are good. Sort of sources of restoration, but that's just not James's focus here. Look in verse 16 again. Therefore, confess your sins to whom? To one another. We're to confess our sins to each other. <laughs> Can you imagine this? So, Let's say we do confession regularly, week to week, if during the confession part, we, we pray our prayer that's printed in the bulletin, and then where I normally say silently, privately to God, instead I said, now turn to your neighbor and confess your sin to that person. Fun, right? Might, if we did that on a regular basis, maybe you'd choose who you sat by differently. Or, you know, I mean, it be very uncomfortable. Maybe we'll start this in two weeks when I'm, when I'm gone. Uh, but it's a very different experience to have to look another person in the eye and say, this is my sin, and it was wrong, and I need to tell you this. It is much more humbling to confess our sins to one another It's much more vulnerable. It even often makes our sin seem more real somehow, to have to name and own our sin. Now, in the context of restoration, when we're confessing to one another, James is actually calling uh, others into confession. He's in line with Jesus there, when Jesus says, if your brother sins... Rebuke him. So part of the antidote to wandering away from truth is to tell the truth. It's to call folks to tell the truth even if it's uncomfortable to do so. We need to be bold in this. That's the first leg of restoration. Confession of sin. Here's the second. Covering of sin. It's the very last word that he mentions in the text. We'll save a soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So what is that? Okay, covering sin does not mean we put a tarp over the sin and, and, and then we just awkwardly never talk about it again. That's not what we mean by covering sin. Confession actually requires us to do just the opposite of putting tarps over things. We have to talk about it. So if we, if we hide things under a rug, all that does is leave a nice big old lump for us to trip on. Covering is another way to convey offering forgiveness. Forgiveness. The scriptures talk about this in multiple places, but uh, Psalm 32 opens up with this. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. So to cover sin is to forgive it. And we know that, that a full covering of sin, of course, can only happen in and through Jesus that God is the one who forgives, that God is the one that must cover, and James, of course, is in full alignment with that. He's not saying different than that, but he's also just saying, in some way, we, you, are part of covering sin in the sense that when we cover sin, we are extending grace and compassion towards someone else's sin. If we really want to restore a sinner back from his wandering, we need to respond to that person in the same way that God responds to repentant sinners. And God's response to repentant sinners is not with accusation. Look what you did, what a mess you made. It's not that. Nor is it condemnation. You should have known better. Here's the price that you need to pay now. You, you, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. God responds to repentant sinners with love. With a call to come back home. Peter says it very concisely. In 1 Peter chapter 4, he says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. That's our call, too. And we know that, of course, covering over a multitude of sins does not mean that we're making light of the sin. Sin is hurtful, and so there may still be some sort of consequence or conversation that needs to come along with it, but there will always be a place for love in the covering over of sin. And before I move to the third one, if I can just say on a personal note about covering sin, I know that I am prone to make lots of mistakes in this area, but if you ever feel a pull from God's Spirit to confess your own sin, either to the elders or or to me. I hope when that happens that you feel a strong sense of love in the midst of that. That as you confess sin, that you would know from me and from us that your sin is covered by the grace and love of Jesus. Not covered by me, but covered by God. That's the second leg of restoration Third and final leg Third part of restoration is Community Community You might have noticed as James is writing through here He's not really talking about missions Nor is he necessarily addressing evangelism to unbelievers To people who don't know Jesus Although of course we desire those sorts of things What James is talking about here is occurring within the context of the church itself. His last words in verse 19, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. The wanderer here is called part of the brothers. It's someone who's from among you. So part of the restoration has to come in the context of community. There is safety and security to being part of the body of the church. Because we're guardians of one another. We watch over each other. You know, Jesus made his church one big adopted family. We are sons and daughters of God. So we're now brothers and sisters, which now gives us a sense of responsibility for and over even each other. You know, one of the, the, the cruelest things, if you remember way back in the early stories of Genesis, the stories of Cain and Abel, one of the cruelest things that Cain ever did to his brother Abel, aside from, of course, killing him, was to say about him when he was asked by God about his brother, Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? You know, as if to say, he's his own person. He's not my business. He's not my problem. That's just, that's not how we were made. (laughs) We were made to be one another's keepers. It's part of the very law of God that if I see my neighbor's ox, or their donkey going astray, I have a responsibility to try, at least, to bring that ox back home. How much more so if I see my neighbor's soul going astray? Now, some people might push back on this idea. Uh, You know, uh, community kind of guarding and watching out for each other. You know, it's like, I don't want everyone to be a helicopter over me all the time. You know, leave me alone and give me a space. You know, some people can start to feel like church means that you've got a cop on every corner, especially kids. Somebody's mom is always watching. You know, you always get in somehow. Your mom finds out through somebody, somebody, right? And we know that that at times guarding each other can be abused. You know, some people are more concerned with meddling and just pointing out sin. More concerned with that than they are with restoration. That's not love. That's just making a mess. But at the same time, there's a really good use of guarding one another in a Christian context. Don't you really want there to be guardians if the soul that begins to wander off is yours? I do. I want there to be guardians if I begin to wonder. And this in some way is very much like the covering of sin, that of course the fullest form of this is only in Jesus, from Jesus. He is the guardian of our soul more than any of us obviously are. But Jesus also has called us to be part of this. There's a sort of relief, a, a, a reassurance in knowing that you are not the only person watching out for your soul. I mean, look, look around in this room. Turn it and look oh, you've got to actually turn. Look at these faces. These are the people that God has called you to watch out for. And if you wander from the truth, these other faces will desire that you be restored. That's a really lovely gift. The community of Christians is one of Christ's greatest gifts to us. That's the third leg of restoration. Those are the three factors that play into restoration confession, covering, and community. So as I wind down here, I cannot end this time. I'm almost finished. If you're hot and itching to go, hang with me. I cannot end with just, without saying just a few more words here because we'll let go of our time with James here today. I need to say just a few last words. You can bring a horse to water. You know the rest, right? But you can't make him drink. sometimes you can't even bring a horse to water (laughs) if it's big enough. We want to do all we can to support each other, to pray for each other, to encourage each other, but in the end, a person who wanders from the truth will be responsible for his own life, for his own choices, and for his own sins. And every person who has ever lived will one day face the Lord God Almighty to give an account of their lives. For a Christian, for a person who has faith in Jesus, we are able to stand before God and say, Jesus is my righteousness. And that's enough. That is enough Your sin will be fully covered. You will live forever in the joy and glory of God. But for a person who has really wandered off, who has rejected Christ in the end, there is nothing that person can say that will save his soul from a death that will not die. So the call here to restoration is not just calling people to the church. We're calling people to Jesus, the head of the church. Calling each other, calling others to Jesus. Our hope, both now and forever, is never, never in what we ourselves can do. It's always in what Jesus can do and in what Jesus has already done. Jesus is the center of all of this. I I hope you don't just hear this as sort of a a footnote tagged on to the end of the sermon series. I hope you've heard this throughout, that that Jesus is really the thread that holds this whole thing together, that everything comes from Jesus, to Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus. All of it. Jesus is the very living water who cries out to every person who is thirsty, come to me, come to me, come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Would you pray with me? Lord, would you set your seal upon us. Would you hold us near to yourself as shepherd to his sheep? Would you bring life to us through these things? Cause us to love you more and that we would pursue restoration as it's needed through confession and covering and community, Lord, We know always healing is your power and your doing by your word. Lord, would you be pleased to grant this blessing to us? We do trust you and give you praise for all things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.